first time in history, the World Championship banner will fly north of the border. The Toronto Great what he's doing and helping other people and not feeling sitting around feeling sorry for himself. To me, the only important part about the publicity is cancer can be beaten and the marathon of hope. The moment the Queen puts her signature on this document, it becomes law. It will be witnessed later. Consensus, constitutionalized, the Charter of Rights. Henderson made a wild stab for spell. Here's another shot right by the shore! Stand on guard for me. Nineteen sixty-seven was a, a special year for Canada. It was our hundredth anniversary, and to promote our achievements, our history, and our cultural heritage, there were thousands of unique events and activities. My favorite, and I was a young boy. The Centennial Train and Caravan, where you got to peek inside and see the history of Canada. But the highlight to me, being a Montrealer, Expo 67 at World Fair. Over 50 million people visited it. I remember the pavilions, the energy. It's the first time I ever rode on a monorail or a subway. They called it the Metro in Montreal. And our economy, looking back and studying it, it was roaring then. And with it, we realized a new level of prosperity and we had an ability to weave this incredible social net with things like Medicare and the Canada Pension Plan. And Canada was a nation. And what we stood for in terms of democracy, our freedom, our fastest and abundance, our reputation as peacekeepers, and our ability to create an economy that could provide, well, it was the beacon for many in the world who could at best dream of what we live daily. But if we shine that beacon internally, we would also have to be honest and expose some some terrors in our flag. In fact, author and historian Pierre Burton referred to 1967 as Canada's last good year. The following decade would bring about a growing separatist movement in Quebec, and with it an exodus of people and jobs out of the province, the indigenous people in Canada demanding and deserving an essential seat at the table, the West feeling alienated from the concentration of power in the central Canada. And then we had world events, included oil crisis, the Vietnam War, and the first intercontinental missiles that could brag about carrying multiple nuclear warheads. But 55 years later, thankfully Canada's still here. And we have so much to offer each other in the world, a tradition of liberty, which is known as the Great Charter of Freedom. And it gives every Canadian citizen the rights to freedom of conscience and religion, freedom of thought, belief, opinion, and expression, including freedom of speech and the press, freedom of peaceful assembly, and freedom of association. Freedom that so many people in this world are denying. And if you follow me on LinkedIn or if you heard me in the media at our conferences, you'll know how much I love this country, but how concerned I am for how we take it for granted. And you can see it with low voting turnouts, a growing divide between the East and the West, bills being introduced provincially in Quebec and federally that I believe challenge our freedoms, our level of debt, our lack of productivity, and the fact that our Indigenous people do not have equal status to the other founding people of this country, the English and French. But at the same time, I'm optimistic that all can be solved if we focus on growing our way forward versus boring to sustain our standard of living. If we apply our minds to creating bold ideas, even if they're in the face of public opinion. And when I think of Canada's vast intellectual, emotional, natural wealth, the phrase that comes to mind is truly an embarrassment of riches. 
You're listening to the iHeartRadio Canada Talk Network, and this is Chatter That Matters with Tony Chapman, presented by RBC. So today I want to introduce someone on my show who chose to come to Canada, and you'll soon learn he could choose to live anywhere in the world. And what he's doing to remind us of how special our country is, is truly an idea as big and bold and has so much imagination and detail that I truly think is one of the most magnificent ones I've seen. Today on Chat of the Matters, my guest is Jean-Louis Breckenmeyer. He's the Chief Visionary Officer, Founder and President of Little Canada, our home and miniature land. He's an immigrant. He comes from a family of immense wealth. He could live anywhere he wanted in the world. But he and his wife chose Canada as their home. And more importantly, he is making his life's work to remind all of us of what we have as a country and why it's worth preserving. Jean-Louis, welcome to Chatter That Matters. Uh, Thank you, Tony. Glad to be with you. We're going to spend a lot of time talking about what you're doing at Little Canada to remind us how unique our country is. And I'm going to try to convince every listener to visit what you're creating. But first, let's talk a little bit about your family. Five generations ago, your family business was born. Take us back to that time and what's happened over time for you to become one of the most respected family businesses in Europe. Well, uh, Tony, it's, uh, yes, as you said, five generations. So it started with two brothers who decided to start a business, Claimants and August Brennickmeyer, and hence the name of the business in Europe, CNA. They started in a small town in the Netherlands called Snake. Back then, they were tailors. They bought cloth and then they traded cloth with livestock. That's how business was conducted in those days. And then they moved from there to actually make garments, uh, primarily suits for men. And then over the decades, they became and expanded. They passed on the business to their children when they were relatively young. That was the start of passing on the business down to the next generation. Today, we are passing on the business from the fifth generation to the sixth generation. That is one of the most difficult challenges. They say by the time the third generation comes along, there's so much wealth that's been created. There's such a level of entitlement that everything that the original founders fought for, and even the second generation, starts to evaporate. You seem to be doing things differently. Can you share with us how you as a family business can continue to pass that baton on from one generation to another? Well, there's two things. One is we retire at 55. It's not voluntary, it's compulsory. So when you sign up, you know that you're going to retire at 55 because you're going to pass the baton on to the next generation. That's the first. The second is not everyone will get into the family business. You have to apply. You have to meet very stringent benchmarks just like any other business. Only 50 family members. What, what would be the size of the pool of people that would be available to, to, uh, to apply for that type of position? Well, it's all the children of family members who work in the business. So I'm one of six children. My father was in the business. So that gave me the opportunity to apply. Uh, but only my, one of my brothers and myself are are still in the business. I have a sister and three brothers who are not. So, but if you're, you know, the oldest of six, your dad's in the business, is it a skip in the park? I mean, do you start off at mid-management? Do you get a vice president title or? No, no, not at all. You start at the bottom of the of the chain. So the first year you're actually in a store and I was with two other cousins and 
we arrived in Rotterdam and the local head of region who looks after all the stores, he had dinner with us and he said, I've got three stores here and I don't know which store to give you. I've put them on a piece of paper and you pick. I picked Dordrecht, which is a store south of Rotterdam. And then they said, he said, tomorrow morning, 9 a.m., you report to the store manager. And then we asked, well, how do we get there? And he said, well, that's for you to find out. So the three of us went to the central station that evening and looked up, how do we get to these stores? Because back then we didn't have internet and Google and all that. I, and the next morning I took the train to Dordrecht and in the first weeks I was cl uh, cleaning the windows in the, the front windows of the store and unloading the, the truck with all the, all, the, all the clothing. You know, they talk about imposter syndrome where you're in a situation where you really feel you don't belong. But did you ever have the reverse that you felt that everybody was looking at you with your family name, that they wouldn't take you seriously, that it was kind of a little remarks when you weren't around or just out of earshot? Um, yes, there are moments where you hear things that they would prefer that you didn't hear. But it, it goes with the territory. Uh, when I was working in Germany, we were the Gelben, the, the, the yellows, or the Unsterblichen, which means we, can't, we can never die. And that basically means that this is a family business with five generations and so will continue to be so. I'm Jean-Louis Brennickmeyer, and in 2011 I was in between jobs and I visited a world and renowned attraction in uh, Germany called Miniature Wonderland and I was just struck by the sheer size of it, the scope, and decided then and there this is what I want to do for Canada. You're listening to Chatter That Matters with Tony Chapman, presented by RBC. Welcome back to Chatter That Matters. My guest is Jean-Louis Breckmeyer, the founder and CEO of Little Canada. So talk to me about family life. The oldest of six kids... You went to boarding school. Did, did you have a, a strong relationship with your parents or were you just sort of the, the kids that showed up on holidays? No, we had a very strong relationship with our parents. We always did everything together as a family, uh, not only on vacation, but also breakfast. We always had breakfast together. We always had dinner together. Uh, my parents did uh, go on holiday in February and in August um, with us. Uh, in February, they went on their own. That was the week or two weeks in the year where they went on holiday. But during the summer, we were always together. And uh, we also went to church together on Sunday mornings. And then after church, we would go to the local uh, cafe and buy. Um, we would buy cake. And then we would take the cake home. And then we would sit in the living room and enjoy the cake together with with coffee or with tea and then we could go on our own go and you know go on do what we would like with our friends and things like that you talk about in one of the articles i read about how much your strong family values and christian faith has led you and and was that part of the church experience but also the experience of going home and maybe talking about what you heard with your family i mean how do they weave together uh, right through from start from start to to the end, uh, Tony. Um, it's not just church; it's living a living life in a Christian valued way. Um, and I say Christian because not not Catholic. Catholic is Christian, so it's not just Catholic; it's Christian. And it's basically what 
I always remind myself, I say, okay, so what? how would Jesus or how would God react to this situation? I'll, I'll give you an example. Yesterday, somebody came up to me at Little Canada and said, can I give you, can I have a hug? I said, yes, I'll give you a hug. I had no idea who the person was, but I gave him a hug because he asked for it. That's what Jesus would do. And that's what I mean by Christian values and doing what? Give everybody respect and dignity and just treat everyone like a human being. It doesn't matter where they came from and who they are. We're all human beings. And that's that's the basis of and treat everyone the way you would like to be treated. So talk to me about the model train that your dad originally set up in the attic and I think became your absolute playground for ideas and imagination. Yeah, so we all grew up with, well, we're four, we're four, we were five boys and one girl, right? So I have one sister and four boys. So it was typical that we grew up with Action Man or G.I. Joe. I think that's what they call it here in North America. But I had cars, uh, dinky toys and corgi. And, and my father had this train layout in the attic. So in Europe, it's where we were living in England at the time, you didn't have a basement, you had an attic. So you went up pulled this lever, this you pull this ladder down from the ceiling and then you would climb up into the attic. And there my father had this model train layout. And I was fascinated right from the start with just the way it moved. And what I really enjoyed most was actually building it together with my father. Then when I was 12, he actually passed it on to me. He said, yeah, this is yours now. My other brothers weren't really interested in it. Uh, to this day, <laughs> they aren't interested, but I was always interested. And so I really enjoyed building it and um, get mod rock and make mountains. And then uh, I discovered that I could make mountains just using paper and a newspaper and wallpaper glue. And it was so much easier to work with. And then when we moved to Canada in 99, I had to pack it all up, put it in boxes. 2011, I was without a job because I, I quit the job, um, which I was uh, destined to, to start with. I didn't like it. My wife said to me, why don't you open those boxes? I said, yeah, that's a good idea. I feel like doing that. So I started to open the boxes and the bug came back. That, that oh, this is fantastic. And not only was that, exciting but it was exciting to open the boxes and I couldn't quite remember everything I still had and so I would open the box I would take a piece out I would unwrap it because it was wrapped in paper oh I found this locomotive and the one that I really um, was so excited about was this Swiss crocodile locomotive it's actually called the crocodile and it was my father's favorite and I remember unpacking it and then calling my dad and saying, Daddy, do you, do you know what I just opened up? I opened up the crocodile. And he had a larger scale crocodile in his office, just in front of his bookcase, a larger scale one, which can run actually in the garden if you have garden layout. And so he started to tell me all these stories about the crocodile. And the crocodile was a train that could go uphill quite steep up the mountain and hence um, it would be slow but it would 
take a train all the way up the mountain. How important was all of this to reconnecting with what I think your dad did was to give you this sense of imagination and ideas? I mean, when he said it, he passed it over to you at age 12. is probably because you loved it and loved what was happening there. So how did that connect over time from that time as a young boy to inheriting the train set to unwrapping it? Do you think sort of ideas is the currency that kind of connected it all? For me, it was always in my head. I always wanted to, whenever I moved, was I had to give up building the the layout because I couldn't move from country to country and every time take it with me. It, it would just, I just had to pack it up. And then um, it wasn't until I, we moved to Belgium where I had purchased my first house with my wife that I, that I was able to make a train set again. And then I, and, but I never completed it because I didn't have the time. I was working uh, so much. But um, that connection with my father always was always there because he, he had a train set. His, two of his brothers had a train set. Um, I have cousins who have a train set. One of the cousins was Michael and he collected trains. And he and I had agreed years back that we would together go and visit Miniature Wonderland in Hamburg, Germany. You got, you know, this model train, this incredible and deep connection with your dad. And then you've got a relationship going with your cousin who's also equally passionate about it. And you, the, both of you visit an attraction in Europe. What happened that day? So this was 2011. And my cousin, Michael, he retired. He retired from the business. And we had agreed that we would visit this place called Miniature Wonderland in Hamburg, Germany. It was the largest model railway layout in the world. And we decided, let's go together. So we went in April and we walked in at nine o'clock in the morning and we, were, had to, we had to be thrown out at seven in the evening. That's how much time we spent there. And when I walked out, I said to him, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to do for Canada. And that's really how the seed was planted for um, the attraction that we've now opened at Young and Dundas Square. Hi, it's Tony Chapman. You're listening to Chatter That Matters. My guest, Jean-Louis Breckenmeyer, the founder and CEO of Little Canada. When we come back, we're going to talk about how this miniature train set, his love for ideation and creation, and the discovery of what Canada is all about, all matters. And then as of late, we've opened up our neighborhood with our own building. And you can actually see Little Canada in Little Canada. And if you look really closely, you'll be able to see Little Canada in Little Canada in Little Canada, down to the last detail with lots of fun, anecdotal um, humor integrated into it. It's Tony Chapman from Chatter That Matters, sponsored by RBC. Our world's upside down and having peace of mind, well, that seems like the exception versus the rule. Well, RBC Wealth Management is hoping to change that. They don't have a crystal ball, but they do have a team of experts dedicated to working with you to help preserve and grow your wealth and help you manage risks so that you can enjoy the rewards of your labor. Your peace of mind and financial health matter to RBC. You're listening to Chatter That Matters with Tony Chapman. 
presented by RBC. Welcome back to Chat of the Matters. My guest is Jean-Louis Breckenmeyer, the founder and president of Little Canada, our home in miniature land. So let's talk about Little Canada. So you're, you're in Canada. You don't have to do anything. Your family business, your, your, the success you've had personally in the career. And as you just said, you want to do this for Canada. Was it just to create this sort of miniature attraction? Because we're going to describe it in detail. Or was there more to it than that? Because I remember when we were chatting earlier, you talked about helping your kids with their grade four assignments and learning about the country. So talk a little bit about your discovery as Canada as a country, because you you made this your home where you could, you know, again, live anywhere you wanted in the world. Yeah. So before we came to Canada, I knew nothing about Canada. I read The Economist magazine and few and far between, there'll be an article in it. And most likely it was to do with an election. And so... I remember Pierre Trudeau and I remember Brian Moroni. Those were perhaps two names that I remembered. When I arrived at in Canada, I'd never heard of Wayne Gretzky. And I remember being at a hotel and there was this kerfuffle in the lobby. And I asked, so who's, who's this? And he said, oh, that's Wayne Gretzky, the great one. And I said, who's he? <laughs> uh, but I never heard of Terry Fox. I thought that basketball was invented by an American we discovered that, you know what, Canada has so much to offer that no one really knows about. Most like, most, most importantly, no one in Europe. It was all assumed that William Shatner, Captain Kirk of Star Enterprise, that he was an American. Captain DeBridge. Spock here. Any signs of life? Negative. Or Austin Powers was an American. I also like to live dangerously. As you wish, sir. Or even Michael J. Fox was an American. What? You're George McFly. Yeah, who are you? And it wasn't until we arrived in Canada that we realized, hey, no, these are all great Canadians. Um, Insulin was discovered by a Canadian. When my boys went into grade four, they do the province project and parents get involved in it. They shouldn't, but they do. I can't imagine you getting very involved in a project, especially something that's involved with building and creating. Yes, because we had the boys actually had to create a 3D model of something. And of course, they came to me and I helped them do that. But my wife is into scrapbooking and she loves doing, um, taking pictures and photographs and putting them in these albums. And so this was right up her alley. And... She and I, we learned so much about Canada through those projects that we were, wow, Young Street's the longest road in the world. Just a lot of trivia things like that. But we realized that this country has so much, so much to offer. And it's, we don't know most of it. And talk about the spirit, because you mentioned things like watching the I Am Canadian ad. Calgary and hockey and stuff like you got involved. I mean, you weren't just a voyeur. You started to realize that there was a, there's a there's a current running through Canada that was special. A current that's running through Canada that really was special, but also that it was not the U.S. So coming over, oh, well, Canada's probably very similar, the same as the U.S. No, it's not. It's very different. And as you said, I am Canadian. The the I am Canadian advertisement. Uh, the rant was classic. Canadians pronounced Z, not Z, Z. 
I loved it because it really showed the difference on a, on a high level, but nevertheless. And the other was uh, Speaker's Corner. I remember uh, watching TV and seeing Speaker's Corner, uh, those two things. And as you mentioned, hockey. Hockey was really tough for us to understand because we couldn't see where the puck was. And it wasn't until Calgary got into the Stanley Cup finals that we really got sucked into the way of life of, of hockey. And I remembered when my boys were growing up and we would see in the morning our neighbors at 5.30 in the morning, what, what's he, what are they doing? Well, he's taking the guy, his son to hockey practice. Well, we're never going to do that. I mean, 6 a.m. hockey practice, that's ridiculous. Well, a few years later, that's exactly what we were doing. We got sucked into the whole hockey phenomenon of Canada. Here's Fleury, looking for his first goal of the series. Scores! Looking back, it was the best thing for our boys. And we were really also fortunate enough to move into the house we live in now, which has an ice rink in the backyard. This is where Sam Gagné and John Tavares grew up uh, playing hockey on the ice rink. When we first saw the house, I said, okay, this is great. Let's, let's, let's move into this house. Let's, let's buy this house. And my wife said, but are you sure? There's something in the backyard you should have a look at. I said, what? Well, let me show you. And there was this ice rink. And it was a January, the snow, everything was white with snow. It was cold, but it was a blue sky. I said, well, we're in Canada. This is what Canadians do. So this is what our boys should do. And it was the best thing. Every week we had their teams come and play shinny between Christmas and March break. So every night it was, it was just fun. And how was your skating ability? Did you get out there and? Terrible, terrible. <laughs> I took lessons. I did take lessons. I got full gear, geared up, which I needed to because the boys, once they reached the age where they could um, hit, <laughs> body check, yeah, hit. Uh, they did that to me. They tried. And you were allowed to do that to your dad at an ice rink. <laughs> oh, they! The, every opportunity they get to get me, I yeah. <laughs> Jean Louis, you've got the model train from your dad. You've got learning about Canada from your son's great four projects and and I am Canadian ads. And you visited this miniature land in Germany, and you decide to put this all together. And I tell you, when I walked in, first of all, walking in, you have to go through immigration. And I walked in and saw their first exhibit, Niagara Falls. I went, this is something I have never seen before. So talk to the, tell us in the audience what they would expect when they walk into your incredible, incredible attraction. As you said, Tony, you pass through immigration and customs, the most friendliest customs that you'll ever encounter. And we share with you, first of all, the land acknowledgement. You share the fact that where we are is on the Anishinaabe and the Haudenosaunee and the Wendat ancestral territories, and we give you some indication of what you're going to see. You go into, as you said, Niagara Falls. That's the first destination. Fifteen Every 15 minutes, it goes from day to night. And then from Niagara Falls, you go to Toronto. Well, just hold on for a sec. You're, 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 let's talk about Niagara Falls. It felt like the falls were pouring 
I mean, it's miniature, but you hear the sounds of the falls. You see them. The Maid of the Mist is on the water. The entire Niagara skyline, the details of every hotel room. What kind of scale are we dealing with? Because I want people to realize with miniature, they might think it's just, you know, the whole thing is the size of your thumb, but it's, it's a significant exhibit. Yeah, so it's a scale of one to 87. So you yourself is probably around three quarters of an inch tall. And so Niagara Falls that you would see in your exhibit was, would be how tall? That's about eight feet tall. It's magnificent. And it's uh, 50 feet wide. And it's video projected because you can't scale water. Water doesn't scale. So we had to find a different medium to show the falls. And so we did that with video projection. And when you look over to the other side, you see the skyline you would see if you're on the, the Maid of the Mist or the Hornblower to the exact detail. I mean, you know, it wasn't like you're going to kind of make a faux thing. I have to tell people, if you're in Toronto, you must see this to believe it. So, okay, I've given you the Niagara Falls. So now I, I will let you continue because you need to do a more exciting job, Jean-Louis. Uh, you got to share my enthusiasm for this place. You're just, you're a miniature model maker who gets so into details, but I, I need you to be an emissary right now. What happens next? Well, just to go back to Niagara Falls, because I want to sh share one thing, and that is... The, the, the thing that people are amazed by the most is we have a little coop with chickens in it. And the chickens are probably the size of a marble. Well, not even a marble, a, uh, even smaller than that. A pea, let's say. Yes, a pea, even smaller than a pea. During the day, they peck, they move. They move around. This is called Little Canada, your home in miniature land. It is the product of this wonderful human being I'm talking with. Hey. You're listening to Chatter That Matters with Tony Chapman, presented by RBC. I'm not a Starfleet commander. Or T.J. Hooker. And yes, I've gone where no man has gone before, but my name is William Shatner, and I am Canadian! My guest is Jean-Louis Breckenmeyer. He's the Chief Visionary Officer, Founder and President of Little Canada, our home in miniature land. You walk into this huge area of Toronto with the huge skyline. You've got the Rogers Centre with the roof that opens and closes. And there's a baseball game going on. There's 8,000 people in the stadium. Every 15 minutes, we sing the song, the Blue Jays baseball song. You hear the crowd roaring. You hear the the crack of the bat and the home run by Bautista, and you may recall the, the bat flip. Have the Scotiabank Arena where we've got the Raptors and we've got Jurassic Park in front. Every part of this exhibit, I mean, the skyline of Toronto is amazing, but you have cars going down the street, they're stopping at stop signs, you have a construction site, and the people. You can actually get a 3D. I have a 3D model of myself that was created there. It's part of the attraction. And I can actually have myself placed in your exhibit. That's correct. I'm a Raptor fan, so I can become a Raptor fan in Little Canada forever. Yes. Where did these ideas come from? They come from across the team. People have said to me, oh, so is this all now designed down to the last detail? I said, no, not at all. Um, a lot of these little ideas actually come about when we are working on it. Sunny comes into there, oh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to have three people trying to put a, lift a piano up and put it through the first floor window. 
when you look at it, you know that it's never going to happen. It's just not possible. The, the piano is way too big. The window is way too small. But that's not something that somebody, one of us sits at the desk and starts to think and starts writing down ideas. No, it just comes to one's head. It's fantastic. It's incredible. You have a climate that allows that. People must love working there because they, they aren't just creating something, they're contributing to it. So they, we call them blocks. And someone is given a block and knows the structures on it. Okay, that's the structure and everything else, they just do. I just want to tell people as you go through this, if you're from Quebec City, Mount St. Anne, skiing, the town of Quebec City, I was there last year with my wife and, and uh, my mother-in-law, and I could see the building and the rooftop deck we sat on to watch the river. And this is where I, I encourage people to really understand that how you're bringing Canada to life. And you're working on a variety of different exhibits. This is an ongoing project. Tell the audience about what your plans are for the Arctic. We have Little North, which will was going to open this year. And the team came to me and said, John Louis, we should not be building this. We need an indigenous team to build this for us. And so we delayed it to 2025. And so that's what we're going to do. In the meantime, you can walk into Little North. You can see how we started putting it all together. When you walk in, it's like going into a fridge. To give everybody that, that experience of cold. And then all the walls around will be video projected with the northern lights. It will be built by an indigenous team, which we're going to recruit. We're going to, if necessary, train, and they're going to build it for us. And do you have a favorite part of the exhibit? My favorite is the Highway of Heroes. And it's on our 401, which is an active highway. So you'll see trucks and cars moving and they come off the ramp and go across a bridge to the other side they go back on again that bridge in front of it is the highway of heroes and that's something that i got goosebumps when i first was exposed to it we want we should have a highway of heroes and the bridge should be dedicated to a real person a real soldier that perished and died um, for, for our freedom. I remember standing next to two members of the True Patriot Love Foundation and we talked about it. We started to think about who that should be and they said, well, why don't we take the first female soldier who died in Afghanistan in 2006 and that's Captain Nicola Goddard. I got the family who live in or live back then in Prince Edward Island. They came over, we got them littleized and they are placed at the bottom of the plaque by the bridge. Give us a message as someone that could live anywhere in the world. Remind us on this Canada Day edition, why this country is so special. For me, Canada is a country that has everything we need. And it has so much to offer and so much to be proud of. It's got the climate, it's got four seasons, the blue skies that we have here, the winters. I just love the winters. I mean, you have a proper winter. The people, the diversity of the people, the backgrounds, everyone is an immigrant. I, I always find it very interesting that people talk about, well, immigrants. Well, we're all immigrants. Everyone is an immigrant. It's so great to see when there's the World Cup soccer or the European soccer, people put their flags on their cars. I absolutely love that. There's nowhere else I've seen that than in Canada. Remembrance Day with the poppy. And last but not least, my father, who unfortunately passed away, he came over five times to visit. He went to Little Canada 
to the warehouse as we were building it, and he always said to me, here is the world noch in order. And translated in English means, here the world is still functioning. I always end my podcast with my takeaways. The first is, you know, five-generation family, but it's knit together with faith and values and also playfulness. The second thing is just your absolute love for Canada and reminding us that there's no place in the world like it. And the third one is just because I love ideas. I can imagine how hard it was for you to convince people to invest in this, to make this happen, why you felt it was important, having to get other people to believe into it. And that's to me, someone that has takes an idea and makes it happen. So for all of that and more, I am so blessed that you are a citizen of Canada and I'm so happy your dad got to visit while he was still alive. Thank you for joining me on Chatter That Matters. Thank you, Tony. It was a pleasure and a privilege. Thank you. What an incredible human being. And I can tell you with complete confidence and conviction, you will experience something at Little Canada unlike anything you've ever seen before. The attention to detail, these ideas. If you're interested to find out more, it's little canadaca little-canada.ca. And I want to just end the show uh, by just talking about my love for Canada. It is one of the most beautiful places in the world, but I think we need to stop taking it for granted and we need to stop boring our way to the future. Our standard of living must be earned. The debt we're putting on the feet of the young Canadians, it just doesn't work for me. We gotta knit this country back together again with things like what Little Canada does, where you walk and you feel as excited about Quebec as you do about the West as you do about Toronto. This is one country and one nation. And it's our responsibility to leave it in better shape for future generations. And the final thing I wanna do is just give a shout out to my sponsor, RBC, who lets me share stories like this. And they ask for nothing in return. What they're doing is a role model for other organizations for-profit or not-for-profit. Yes, they have deep resources, but they go so far beyond banking to try to find a way to make this country better. For our youth future launch, $500 million commitment to help youth find and pursue their path in life. For climate, tech for nature, $100 million commitment to fund technology to combat climate change. $500 billion in financing they're gonna make available by 2025 for sustainability. When I look at what they're doing for culture to support women filmmakers, RBCX platform for artists and musicians to find the audience they deserve. Aspiring athletes, RBC training grounds, so at least these athletes can seek Olympian podiums. Their work in diversity and inclusion, investing in women entrepreneurs, our indigenous communities, and mental health. It's a bank guided by purpose, fueled by ideas. It's all intended to help us thrive and our communities prosper. So RBC, thank you for sponsoring Chatter That Matters. Thank you for being part of this Canada Day special. Go to see Little Canada, because you'll walk out feeling even better being a Canadian or in your visit to Canada. Chatter That Matters with Tony Chapman has been a presentation of RBC. It's Tony Chapman. Let's chat soon.